forgiveness. Now, in today's message, I'm going to talk about what it implies when we call God Father. We've had many uh, Father's Day messages wherein we would hear about the goodness of God, the goodness of the Father, and just how much He cares for us, how much He loves us, and all of those things. Um, but I think there's a lack in understanding what it actually talks about when we call God Father um, in the Bible. We need to realize that God is not our physical father. Uh, you know, we have physical fathers on this earth. Uh, you know, we've got, you've got a physical father, a physical mother. But the way wherein God becomes your father, or the way wherein we see God as our father, is a different way. Now, I don't want to take anything away from the love that you have in your heart about God as father. I want to expand on that and amplify that. And I want you to see the dimensions of the love of God. When it comes to, uh, when, when we get to the point where we call God Father, we call God Father by the Spirit of God. And there's a certain meaning behind that. And we're going to look into all of that. Now, so today's me message might be a little bit of a theological uh, message with a lot of scripture and definitions and those kind of things. But I would like to encourage you to really have an in-depth look at what I'm about to share, this message will bring an excitement forth in your heart like never before. Um, if I look at my life, I started out, I received Jesus as my Savior, and I was very excited about the, um, you know, the fact that I am not going to hell anymore, but I'm going to go to heaven. And uh, I, was, I preached like that for some years and then uh, went to Bible school, and in Bible school, I got into the charismatic uh, way of thinking about things and became very legalistic in many areas of my life. Then I got a hold of the message of God's love. I remember a preacher came to our town, preached there, and uh, helped me, really helped me and encouraged me to in, in the understanding of the good news, in the understanding of the message of grace. And as I looked at that message, I, was, I had such a joy because, um, you know, I knew God loved me. Uh, and I had such a joy because I knew that I didn't have to do all these rules to become righteous before God. And my definition of the goodness of God was defined inside, um, inside legalism, I would say. It was a judicial understanding of the goodness of the Father. Um, and as time went on, I got to an understanding that... Uh, that everybody was basically, uh, that, that Jesus came for everybody. Everybody was included in his sacrifice, that he loved the whole world. And, and I, would, I remember when I was even a child, I knew Jesus loved the whole world and he loved the children and all those kind of things. But I came to an understanding that he actually uh, sees the lost also as his own, that he wants to redeem. Like I said this morning in the service uh, in Malmesbury, is that we've always been his children. Maybe his children was lost or dying, but we've always been his children. And I saw that, and it was great for me and wonderful for me. And I started to discover that God didn't come to, um, to punish Jesus. That was the next step. I, didn't, I discovered God didn't come to punish Jesus for my sins, but that there was another view about that whole thing, that he actually... Uh, that he actually loved me from the beginning and that he wanted to deliver me from sins and he wanted to reveal who the Father is and all of that. And um, I would say about what, what is in my heart now, the Lord has been speaking to me about this for uh, quite a long time. I've been, if you go and listen to some of my older messages five years ago, four years ago, you would hear me talk about this as the Lord was uh, putting this in my heart. Uh, but I would say in the last year, two years, I was speaking to the web pastors a lot about immortality and what this is all about. And, um, and I just think that as I look at all the good news that I've heard, this is the best news um, that, I've, that I've got to share with you today. The message of the Father, how much He loves us and what it actually means when we say, God loves us. Now, we're going to read um, the first definition of the word Father. I want you to read with me. 
um, <clears throat> this is the the definition for the word father. It says uh, metaphorically the origina- the originator or transmitter of anything, the authors of a family or society of persons animated by the same spirit as himself, one who has infused his own spirit into others who actuates and governs their minds. Now, let, let me just read that again. It says, um, the originator and transmitter of anything, the authors of a family or a society of persons animated by the same spirit as himself. This is very important. Look at the definition there. And this is taken directly from Thayer's definition here. It says, um, people, basically, or persons animated or that came alive by the same spirit as himself. Now, when we look at that, we see that the <clears throat> a father is, when somebody is really your father, in the sense of God as father, it is when the life that is inside us comes forth from his spirit. You know, I can have, three children, all of them can be my children. And it might be that one or two of them, it might be that all of them, you can see me live in them and you can see who's, who is their father because the father's way of thinking, the father's way of reasoning, his way of doing is inside that person. If you would look at my, uh, my biological father, you would see the way he does things. Uh, Elena said, uh, says that to me sometimes. He says, you know, in a certain degree, you like your father. He works all the time. And that is exactly how you are. You cannot stop to work. It is something that comes natural. It's not, um, I, I don't struggle with laziness or anything like that. It is something that comes from my father. My father's way of thinking about work, my father's way of thinking about doing something and living your passion, also lives in me. So in that sense, I mean, he can be my father, my biological father, but we really see that I am his son is in my life, is in the way I think, in the way I reason, the spirit, his spirit that is in me. So in the very same way, we can find a son that can have a biological father, but he can look at uh, a certain hero he has. He can have a hero, which is maybe not his biological father, But the logic of that hero floods his mind and floods his heart and you can start to see that hero living him. And that is basically what the Bible talks about when it talks about uh, father. I want us to look at that, uh, or no, uh, I'm just going to read it. We don't have to look at it, but let me just read it for you. Um, It says here, it is a family or society of persons animated by the same spirit as himself. Meaning that the life, I mean, God comes alive. God is who he is by the spirit that is inside him. And a son would be somebody that is also made alive by the very same spirit that brings or manifests life in God. Now, that is beautiful. Glory to God. We're going to look at the next verse, and um, that is in Romans 8 verse 15. Romans 8 15. It says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by where, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Let me read that again. I want you to concentrate on this. It says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And not only they, but ourselves also, we which have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to witness the redemption of our bodies. Now look at verse 15 and 23. I've, I've put them together. I've taken all the verses in between out so that we can see uh, what this spirit of adoption is. The spirit of adoption according to verse 23 at the last part, is the redemption of our bodies. That is what it is all about. The spirit of adoption talks about the redemption or the salvation of 
our bodies. So what God has come to do is, He's come to pour out a certain spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father. That's what the scripture says. He says, we cry, Abba, Father. It's only three places in the Bible where the Bible talks about Abba, where Abba is used. Um, it is in John 7, uh, Romans 8, and then Galatians 4. Um, so when it talks about Abba, Father here, and it talks, it talks directly about the adoption, it says, by a certain spirit, we call God Abba. There's a spirit by which we call God Abba. And um, uh, le let me just rephrase that or, or uh, read that again. I want to read those two verses. Many times we read, but we just glance through it too quickly and we don't see what it really says. It says, for, we, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That bondage again to fear talks about the bondage and the fear of death. But you have received the spirit whereby we are adopted, or this adoption spirit, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So it says the spirit, a father is someone who by the same spirit that gives him life, gives you life. So this spirit of, according to verse 23, the last part, the redemption of our bodies is whereby we call God Father. Now, that is very, very powerful. What the Bible talks about here is God as the only immortal. And we need to understand that. God is the only immortal. And if we are his children, if we are born of God, uh, if we call Abba Father, we need to call God Father fr um, from the foundation that we can say what he is is what we are. So the only way, the only platform from where we can call God Father is the spirit of adoption or the salvation of our bodies from physical death wherein we receive life and immortality. That is the gospel. That is the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And that good news, which is the gospel, um, there's a certain spirit around that. Now I want to read Romans from my Bible. I don't have it on the screen for you, but I would like to just read this from the Bible here. It says in Romans 1, I've just read it in the communion. It says here, um, that concerning his son, Jesus Christ, this is verse 3 now, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power. So how was Jesus declared the son of God? He was declared the son of God. You say you're the son of God, you call yourself equal with God. In order to be equal with God, you have to be immortal, undying. So here it says, and declare to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit that raised him from the dead. Can you see that? So, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God by the Spirit that raised him from the dead. How could we know that Jesus was the Son of God? The only sure sign that we could know that Jesus is the Son of God is when he was raised from the grave without sin, without death, and he went and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And when he sat down at the right hand of the Father, he poured out the very same spirit of sonship on us all. And I want us to go and read that. Let's go to our next verse there in John 7, uh, from verse 37. This is what it says. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood crying, saying, he cried and saying, If a man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now that is that is what you call power, right there. What he says is that we could not receive the Holy Spirit unless Jesus was glorified. So, 
we had to have a man raised from the dead coming into the glory of immortality and then as a man that is glorious immortal he went and sat down in equality with God and when a man went and sat down there then the truth the spirit of truth this spirit that did all of this um, for us on behalf of us could be poured out on the earth and we who believe that Christ was raised from the dead, that we are co-seated with him, we who believe this, we receive the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And in this hope that we see God as the immortal and Jesus Christ as our high priest, as an immortal at the right hand of the Father, and since that spirit that says we are included in that is poured out in our heart, we are saying we shall also have that physical immortality wherein we will conquer death and conquer sin by simply relying and believing on God. And by that spirit, we call God Father. So, when we say God is our Father, I want to say it this way, you cannot call God Father but by the Holy Spirit. Now by that I'm saying, I'm not saying that everybody that says God is my Father is calling God his Father by the Spirit. Um, if we use biblical terms and biblical definitions on what it means to call God your Father, you are calling God Father um, by saying that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God, adopted, in other words, placed as a son, raised from the dead, and that spirit of eternal life, wherein God promised me eternal life in raising Christ, who is my life, from the dead, that promise that includes me, by that spirit I'm saying, I, by that word, another, another word for spirit is also the word word. The Bible says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So if you want to be in the spirit, be in the word of the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the spirit that was poured out. When that spirit indwells us, when the message, the gospel of immortality indwells us, that word has got a certain atmosphere around it. It's got a certain power around it. And that we call the spirit of God, which manifests in signs, wonders, miracles, and whereby we say, by this resurrection, by this spirit that raised Christ from the dead, as that dwells in our hearts, we receive the power of it, whereby we call God our Father. Now, let us go to Galatians, and we're going to read Galatians 4. Like I said, today we're going to do a lot of scripture and stuff. Um, let us go and read Galatians 4 and verse 1. Galatians 4 and verse 1. Now I say... That the heir, remember now, we're talking about a father and inheritance and all those kind of things. That the heir, as long as what he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. But is under tutors and governors until the appointed time of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to do what? To redeem them that were under the law, that they might receive the adoption of sons or the salvation of their bodies. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Glory to God. Isn't that beautiful? What he is saying here is very clear. He says he has sent his son to redeem them that were under the law, that they might receive the adoption of sons, which is what we just read in Romans 8, which is the redemption of our body, or we can, the redemption of our body comes in two phases. One, freedom from the sins of this world, or the fruit of the flesh by the very doing of God, not our doing, but by God that has promised it, and as we simply believe that He is our Father, 
And that the Father, by the Spirit by which we say Father, is the Spirit that says, He raises me up into holiness. He raises me up into the fruit of the Spirit. He raises me up into life and immortality. That Spirit, the Spirit that says, He brings it forth, and I don't bring it forth by my own works, that Spirit um, is... That spirit is whereby we cry, Abba, Father, which is called the spirit of adoption, whereby we shall see this adoption manifest in our lives. I want to read verse uh, 4 to 6 again of Galatians there. It says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. That That is the genealogy of David right there. For what reason? To redeem them that were under the law. Why? Because under the law you don't have the power of adoption. Under the law you cannot be set free from sin. Under the law you cannot receive immortality. That we, to, redeem them that re, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, what is taking place there is very simple. It's talking about children, it's talking about sons, and with a translation we lose a little bit of this. What he's saying is is that we all are the children of God, but he wants these children to conquer sin and conquer death. Now, because we are his children, that's why he can pour out his spirit as we believed upon him. He can pour out his spirit into our hearts whereby we cry and we say the immortal God is our father for we see an immortal man at the right hand of God. As you see an immortal man at the right hand of God, you can say the son of man is the son of God. And since my sin was on Jesus, and my death was on Jesus, and he died away my sin, and he died away my death, because of all of that, we can now clearly see that Christ, you know, that we, that God is also our Father. And as we see that truth and believe that truth, that word has entered our hearts, and we find the manifestation of that Spirit in our lives, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, um, let me get to what I want to say uh, today. What, what I want to get at is that Christ has come and he has, he's become our, or, or God came in Christ and he brought forth a system whereby we can, we, whereby he can be our father according to the first definition that I read to you guys, which is to have people animated by the same spirit as oneself. So when God came and he wants to bring life to us by the same spirit that gives life to him, we can conclude that Jesus called God his father. God's the only immortal. He raised the man that became mortal. He made him immortal, above sin, above death. There's no authority, nothing that can conquer him. He sat him down at the right hand of the Father, and that included me. As I believe that, I find this word or this spirit enters my heart, and this spirit that did to Jesus what happened to him. I mean, Jesus called God his Father long before he received the immortality. You know, so he had the spirit in him and he called Abba Father and that spirit confirmed the truth that was in Jesus' heart and mouth, in his body, in the resurrection. And we can see the very same thing happening earlier in Jesus' life where he would raise the dead, heal the sick and have love and kindness and forgiveness and all those things by the simple belief that God is the one that has conquered all his sin, God has conquered all the flesh Now, Jesus didn't have his own sin. I'm talking about the weakness of the flesh, um, whereby Jesus was also tempted. And he even conquered our death. So he knew that God, the Father, can conquer all these things by the Spirit or the Word of life. You know, the Word that we have is called the Word of life. But the Spirit is also called the Spirit of life. Doesn't the Bible say in Romans 8, it says that, Uh, the law of the spirit of life or the word of life. What is the spirit? It's a very difficult uh, uh, thing to understand. The spirit is the power that manifests in your life and the life that comes to you on account of a word believed. 
That is the spirit of that word. If I believe a negative word about myself, then I will find that a, a, a torm- I, my soul is vexed. I'm going through difficulty and all those kind of things. And that is the spirit of that word. So if I come to you and say to you, you know, um, there's even when we hear about the shootings and bombings and all those kind of things, if we look at South Africa and we see the parliament is falling apart and people are having fist fights in the parliament, beating up on each other and lying and cheating and doing the worst things. I mean, if you look at our parliament in South Africa, it's a circus. It is really a circus. But you can look at that word. If you dwell upon that word, you'll find the spirit of that word start to um, be animate in you. It will give you its life. In the very same way, when we hear a word of a man that has conquered sin without his own works, by simply believing and relying upon the Father. And we hear a word that he didn't even have his own sin, but he had my sin, and he had my death, and he was raised up in a physical form where you can touch him, feel him, handle him, where it wasn't a vision, it was a physical resurrection. You know what happens when we believe that word? The spirit, or the power, or the the attitude, or the atmosphere, of that word, the life of that word starts to come into our hearts and we find that it conquers bitterness and hatred and all those things in our lives. It conquers that. It, it brings us to a place where, where we, we find his life conquering the fruit of the flesh in our life and we find love, joy, peace and all those things mentioned in Galatians 5 in our lives. That is what it is all talking about. So in the very same way, you know, we call God Abba by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the only thing by which we can call him Father is by the word that says he is our Father, for he is the one that's granted us immortality. And that immortality and holiness and righteousness as a free gift belongs to us, for Christ has brought it forth for us. Amen. That is what it, it talks about. You know, if we, um, I just want to read this verse again. Uh, we don't have to go there. Elena, you don't have to go to the verse there. I just want to read this. It says, And because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son. What is the Spirit of the Son? The Spirit of the Son is the the word of what happened to the Son and the power it, it, it carries. Glory to God. That is what this is all about. Now, let us go to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, and we're going to just read, read this. And we're going to just see more of the Father, more of being begotten. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to the abundant mercies has begotten us again. Do you see begotten there? How will he, begot- how will he give birth to us? By a certain spirit. He has begotten us again unto a lively hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved or protected or guarded in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto the salvation that is ready or that shall be revealed in the last time. Now that is a very, very powerful, powerful scripture. You know, when we look at that scripture, we need to understand and we need to see that God has come and he has brought forth a a brand new life for us. He has brought forth, he has come and he has come and he said, I've come to bring forth. I've come to, I have begotten you unto a lively hope. In other words, a hope that, a hope about life. That is it. So the new birth is you've been born from expecting death and decay unto a place where we expect by the Spirit, by the very doing of God, by this message dwelling in our hearts of how we've been co-raised with Him, having this hope of life or lively hope, if you want to call it like that, 
this hope of life and immortality, how that indwells our hearts and how it floods our hearts. And as that takes place, what happens? We know that what we've inherited is an immortal human body that has conquered sin and conquered death. This spirit, this message that is inside us will bear what the Bible calls the first fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. This spirit of the resurrection, this spirit of our immortality, this spirit of of Christ being raised, whereby we say God is our Father, we are also saying He's the Father of our works. He's the Father of our actions. He's the Father of our thoughts. As that definition says here, it is one, it's a person that... um, is a person that's animated by the same spirit. It also talks about here, um, one who infuses his own spirit into others, who actuates and governs their minds or their hearts or their thoughts or their lives. So what God has come to do in Christ is he has come and he has brought a new spirit, a new word into this earth. There was the spirit of death. On man, But when we see Christ raised from the dead, we see the spirit of prophecy whereby God prophesied that there will come a time when death will be conquered. We see the spirit of prophecy in the Old Testament prophesying towards Christ. But when Christ was, was seated at the right hand of the Father in the full glorification as a physical man at the right hand of the Father, then the spirit could only be poured out on us which could make us alive, animate us, animate us to the life of God, the full manifestation of the life of God, whereby we can say it is not us who do the good works, but it is God who gives birth to the good works. Glory to God. You know, when we come and we understand and we see that God is the one that brings forth the good works. God is the one that brings forth the life. We have passed from death into life. We've got a brand new spirit now. We've got the spirit of God's life. We've got the spirit whereby we can expect this salvation. What is the salvation that we're expecting? We're expecting salvation from physical death. Now, some people say, Beth, you know, you cannot say that. How can you say we're expecting salvation from physical? I've got proof of that. Jesus. And he has begotten us. Let me read. And, and Eliana, if you can put this on again, please. It says here, Blessed be the God, First Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living or a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is this lively hope? An inheritance incorruptible. Now look at me. When we, when we say an inheritance incorruptible, what does it talk about? It talks about Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of God, wherein his body cannot corrupt, where his body is above corruption. The worst thing that I've seen, and you know, when I travel to States, and as I, I look at uh, different theologians in Europe and those kind of things, people, not, people don't believe in the resur- physical resurrection of Christ anymore. People believe that the resurrection is going to heaven. That is what it means. It means that I die, my body stays on the earth, and I'm going to heaven. If that is what you believe, you will find weakness in your life as pertaining to conquering sin in the flesh. Um, Because God has come to heal our bodies. And since sin dwell in the flesh, and through the flesh we cannot reach life or reach immortality or any of those kind of things, we need to have a message, a word, or a spirit that says, a spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father, wherein He is the Father of my body, the Father of raising my body up into immortality. Without that, you know, unless our bodies can be physically saved from death, you cannot be saved from sin. Now you might say, Bertie, but there are many people that, are, that, walked, um, that walked a quite a holy life, you know, without believing this. 
You know, you can get a lot of stuff right by the works of the flesh. You can get a lot of stuff right by willpower. But what it will not get right is to have you so free that it is actually God that has really given birth to it. It will always be you resisting sin and living a holy life. It wouldn't be to the magnitude where Paul say, it is not me resisting anything. I find another person living inside me. Glory to God. Abayati, how can you make such judgment? This is what the scripture says, and, and, and this is the truth in the resurrection. I'm not even talking about correct interpretation of scripture. We're talking about the physical body seated at the right hand of God, church. This is what we're talking about. Now I want to say something to you. God did not make this earth and his people to abandon it. He's come to save the earth. He's come to save the world. He hasn't come to abandon the world and take everybody to heaven. Now, I can lose 10 friends right there, you know, th that'll be sad because I want to in influence you with this truth and I want you to have the life that I have um, in me manifest inside you as well. Please hear me out. The Bible says, the meek shall inherit the earth. The Bible says in Romans 8 that creation waits for the adoption. Creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Jesus was manifested as a son of God. By what? By the resurrection from the dead. <laughs> Hallelujah. And now it says that we are the sons of God. He is the firstborn from the dead. How was Jesus born from the dead? You went to his grave and you found nothing there. Nothing. He, didn't, he doesn't possess flesh that can be tempted with sin. And now, as this truth and this spirit indwells our hearts, we find temptation for sin die. <laughs> Glory to God. Church, this is the good news, man. This is the message that the whole world needs to hear. I want to read the last verse here in Galatians 5 from verse 1. Let's read Galatians 5 verse 1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are that are justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Now, what, what, Galatians chapter 5 just follows up on Galatians chapter 4, which I read before 1 Peter here. What it talks about, it says, we have the spirit by which we cry in the adoption. We've got the spirit of the son by which we will be adopted. This spirit will manifest our adoption. This adoption, we should not see as westernized adoption. We should see it as be made immortal. That's what it means. Jesus was adopted. His adoption is written in Romans 1, wherein he was declared to be the son with power over death. We shall all be declared as sons with power over death in the return of Christ. And the first fruit of that power already now shows by having power over the fruit of the flesh. That is it. That is what he's talking about. And this spirit of adoption that will make us immortal, there are signs unto this immortality. And that is healing of the sick, ending of cancer, ending of sickness and disease and blindness and deafness and all those kind of things. We find the fruit of the spirit or the gifts of the spirit. The word gifts there also means grace. Now, it goes to Galatians 5 and it says, listen, look at the grace of God. What is the grace of God? The grace of God is the influence upon man's heart to believe that he can be immortal, conquer sin, and never die by the doing of God. Glory to God. I want to tell you, God by His Spirit will conquer sin in your life. He has come to redeem you from the law, for the law cannot conquer it. The law cannot give you peace, man. Tithing can never give you a, a place in your life where you can feel the peace that God will always provide for you. You say, no, Betty, but I've had peace for 20 years and I've been tithing all the time. Stop tithing and see if you've got peace. Stop your tithing. 
No, I don't know if I can stop my... Why don't you... Why can you not stop your tithing? Because you're too scared to stop. Because you couldn't be set free from fear. That's why. There's no other reason, my friend. And let me speak to your heart. Now, I know I'm speaking to somebody watching right now that is... This, he needs to hear this. And many of us, when we hear this teaching, we are scared, you know, of tithing and those kind of things. Stop doing certain works. Or, oh, no, no, I, I, I don't know. Listen, the law cannot produce generosity in you. The law cannot produce a love for your neighbor, for your wife, for your children, or any of those things. It will all be obligated will worship, where you by your willpower try and worship God and do what's right. He says, I want to redeem them that were under the law. Why? That they may receive the adoption that the Spirit can now bring forth the life of God in them. That is what this is all about. And in this Father's Day, we're thinking of our Father that has come, and he, we call Him Abba by the Spirit of adoption. You know, many of us have never called God Father by the Spirit of adoption. We've never called God Father by the Holy Spirit. We've called God Father by just hearing a nice message of a father, you know, of the prodigal son, and that he's a good father, and we called him Father because the Bible says he's a father. But we've never understood the dimensions of the word Father. And what it all implies. The word father actually means um, the, the father that will infuse his spirit into me and give life to his thoughts in me and give life to his life in me. And we know how that looks. We know how it looks. We see it at the right hand of the father in an immortal human being where there is no bones in the grave. Church, you know, there are some, some people out there that's preaching, and I want to warn you. You can go and watch their teachings. You will see it's just a lot of nonsense. But I want to warn you. There are people out there that says that Jesus didn't physically raise from the dead. It was just a vision that the dogs carry these bones away and all that kind of rubbish that says it's not needed for Jesus to actually be physically raised. You can be as much of a wonderful Christian without the physical resurrection of Christ. Let me tell you something. Christians were defined by what they believed. Jesus was raised, you know, we, on the first day of the week. So we, they've even changed from the Sabbath to another day because of the power of this resurrection. That is what the whole thing was all about. It's about the resurrection. They, they should have, shouldn't have been called Christians. They sh should have been called re resurrectionists. That's what they should have been called. That would have been a more accurate description of these people. They were awaiting the res re return of Christ wherein there would be or a better word would not be the return, but the manifestation or the, um, the appearing of Christ, wherein he comes physically into this world and he appears as what he appeared in the room where everything was locked. He will appear that very same way. We'll call it come back out of the clouds. He'll come back and he'll manifest his fullness in us and so conquer death in all of us. Talking about physical death here. Now this spirit of life, church, this belief, what it brings forth in our lives today is a freedom. That's why the Bible says in Galatians 5 verse 1, let's read it again there. It says, stand fast therefore in the liberty. The liberty of what? The liberation that we've been liberated from death and sin. That we've been liberated from the law which was too weak to produce the fruit of God in our lives. And he has made us free not to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In other words, he, doesn't, he hasn't made you free to go back to the law again. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. What he's saying is, is all this resurrection power, the spirit of resurrection, and all those kind of things will not benefit you if you live by the law. If you want to live by the law, it will not benefit you. You will... You will say, I believe in Christ and all those kind of things. And as you mix in legalism, you will find there's no power. There's no real love. It is you need, a, you need a worship service to psych yourself up. You know what this message does in my heart? I'm so excited I cannot fall asleep. And, and that's for, I mean, I went to the US, I'm back. I, 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 it is, I shouldn't think of these messages before I go to bed. I will not be able to sleep. I'll only sleep three or four hours that night, if I'm lucky. 
This brings an energy to you. It brings a life to you that that is more than willpower or human ability can ever bring to us. So when we say Abba Father, we say Abba Father, why? By the Spirit that was poured out. When? When the Son was seated at the right hand of the Father. That Spirit, what Spirit is that? The Spirit of our adoption. What does that mean? The teaching or the word that has got a power of a man seated immortal at the right hand of God. Stephen saw him and spoke of him. He appeared to the Apostle Paul. He appeared to 500 people at once after uh, his crucifixion and death. He was a glorious light manifesting to Paul. It was massive. It is great. It is greater than what we could ever imagine. That is the glorification. Then that spirit of being adopted unto that is poured out on us. And the Bible says, when this spirit of immortality, the spirit of our adoption, whereby we say we can now call the only immortal our father, for he actuates my thoughts, my feelings, and even my physical body will be made alive as Christ is. And we've got signs and wonders showing this even forth. When we say that, the Bible says this is living water. Or a living word bubbling up inside of us. That's what we read there. I want to read it again. Um, in in, in um, John 7 there, it says here, um, He that believes on me, as the scripture says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of life water. Water is the word, the water of the word. It, out of your deepest being will flow a word of this life and immortality and it will be accompanied by the resurrection power of Christ. Now this did not take place with the disciples. It only, he was talking about the Holy Ghost to be poured out. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the spirit by which we preach is we shall be glorified with an immortal human body. Heaven is not the end place. Heaven is just a halfway house if we should die and go to heaven. It's just a halfway house. But the Bible says there are, there are those that will, uh, um, the Bible says if uh, um, all shall not fall asleep. It says that those who are alive at his return, meaning that we, there will be still people that will be leaving this message. And as we believe this in Christ's return, we will see with our own eyes the, the graves being opened up. People who was exploded into atom bombs, into molecules all over the world. This glorious light will put those believers together again and give them the life that he has promised them from the beginning. And this spirit, this word, brings forth life in us now. And he who walks by the Spirit is a son of God. What Spirit? This Spirit of the resurrection. The law of the Spirit of life. The Bible says, if we by the Spirit mortify the deeds of the flesh, what Spirit? The Spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father, for He is the Father of my life. And he will make me mortal. How do we call him father? Why, how was Jesus seen as the, the, the father? of? How was the father seen as the father of Jesus Christ? He says, I will show you I am his father. And he made him immortal. And we could say, these two look exactly the same now. Both of them possess what the only one, only God possessed, which is immortality. Therefore, we can see Jesus is the son of God. And now he poured that spirit out because he died my sin and my death. And now we, by this spirit, call him Abba Father. And the day will come when he does the same to us. Glory to God. This is the gospel church. I would like to pray for the sick. You know, you might be watching in this live message, even if you watch this message later on. I would like to pray for the sick. So, um, you know, if you have been going through a difficult time, you know, if you've been going through a very hard time, if you've been really struggling with this whole thing about death and life and cancer and sickness and disease and all those kind of things, I want to tell you there's a spirit that is, go that is in the earth whereby you can be healed, whereby you can be um, set free, whereby you can be delivered. 
And I'm going to pray for you in the name of Jesus. You know what that means? In the name of this resurrection power. In the name of what he has accomplished. I'm going to pray for you. And I believe there's some people watching and you can have cancer. You can have sugar diabetes. You can have, I don't care what you have. I would just like to bring forth signs, wonders and miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. As he sends forth his power. Father, I want to thank you that you stretch forth your hand right now to signs, wonders, and miracles. And I come and I stretch forth my hand to the people that are watching this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And as I stretch forth my hand towards them, I say to you, I say, cancer, you are healed and you are burned up in the glorious light of Jesus, shining in, a, in bodily form in Jesus Christ. And as God has come and given us authority to heal the sick, I heal cancer right now. I heal sugar diabetes right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I bring healing. I bring healing to back problems, knee problems, arthritis. In the name of Jesus Christ, any form of paralysis that's starting to shape the form in your body, I declare it healed in the name of Jesus right now. Thank you, Father, that whosoever is watching, whatever sickness they have, as they lay their hands on themselves and as they just believe upon you, I declare healing over them in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for your power, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Church, I want to thank you so much for watching. This message is, it is the gospel. Not because Bertie Brits preached it. It is because it is God's message for us. He says clearly, if you read in Titus 1, he says that that which was promised from before the world began as pertaining to the word of eternal life. That talks about eternal life. It says that which was from the beginning, which was came to the earth, died, and then was raised, which our eyes have seen, which our hands have handled, as pertaining to the word of life. The law seemed to be a way unto life, but Paul found it to be unto death. But Christ, this message, as you believe this truth, you filled with the Spirit. Glory to God. Isn't it wonderful? I want to thank you so much for watching. I want to thank everybody that is, um, that is just part of this ministry, whose heart is in this ministry. I thank you for just who you are, for the passion you have for this message, for being bold and liking some of the comments that's so radical on my Facebook page and sharing it with your friends. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing this message. I also want to thank everybody that just um, sponsors this, uh, this ministry financially, making it possible for me to just um, not have a normal job and just preach this full time and live the dream that God has put in my heart and see thousands of people hear this message. I want to thank you guys. You guys are just awesome. Thank you so much, and I'll see you again next week. God bless.